the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. This is a New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. Thank you everyone for joining me for this special episode. We drill in uh, this time around into Microsoft's Build Conference as it tours around the world. And we also uh, gain some insights into Microsoft devices, uh, the division of Microsoft that was previously known as Nokia's handset division. All right, well, let's jump in and get right underway. So here we are at uh, Microsoft's Build Conference, the uh, the Build Tour, as it's uh, just landed here in Auckland, with Nigel Parker from uh, Microsoft New Zealand and Giorgio Sardo, who's travelled here and is on the tour around uh, around the country. Um, maybe just to start with, you can both sort of introduce yourselves in terms of where you fit in at uh, at Microsoft. Sure. Hi, this is Giorgio. Um, I work in Redmond in that quarter. Uh, I lead the client and device evangelism worldwide, so I work very closely with the Windows team. Um, my team has been uh, uh, one of the key team working on the build keynotes, uh, and so and we're traveling uh, this uh, in this period around the world, taking the build experience around the world. Great. And it's Nigel here. Uh, I run the what we call the DX team here in New Zealand, which is the developer experience and evangelism team. Uh, we've got a mix of audiences that we engage with, but it's really the all-up technical audiences in New Zealand. So that's everything from students, uh, where we run a student accelerator program and Imagine Cup competition, uh, through to startups, uh, where we're working with uh, a range of startups in country and, and um, supporting programs like the Lightning Lab uh, up and down the country, and then professional developers and, and IT pros. Great. Now, um, Nigel, this too is sort of come around the world why was it here in New Zealand what's the importance of that for f- from your perspective because you've tended to uh, travel to, to build when it's happened in the in the US and you know often there are a bunch of New Zealand developers that, that head up there um, but now we've got build um, here on the, the sunny shores of Auckland yeah it, it's interesting because I've been going up to San Francisco and to build uh, for a few years now and escorting a group of normally it's probably around 15 to 20 uh, Super keen Kiwis who have spent the money, uh, gone up, you know, to go up and ex- experience it in in person. And the feedback that we get from those who travel up to the event um, is massive, and it really uh, projects back when they come back down uh, to New Zealand. Now, I guess we can thank Giorgio and his team for realising the magic of the build event and the opportunity to take that globally. And I'm, I mean, I maybe Georgia can talk a bit about why Auckland and New Zealand's on the map. But uh, the fact that they've included us in the tour is is fantastic. And you know, in, in general, I would say, unfortunately, or fortunately, like Bill sold out in less than an hour. Mm. And our goal really is to reach all developers, not just the developers in US, right? There's, um, and uh, you know, when we think about uh, developers worldwide. We, we tend to think about the big countries, but it's also about you know small countries that are doing amazing things. And actually, this morning, as you saw in the room, we have a full room here in uh, in New Zealand on a Saturday morning, and it's great to see the enthusiasm from developers coming in and listening to the build tour here in person. So uh, I think we made. Uh, I'm very happy that we we brought the, the tour here in uh, in Auckland. Good. So what are the things that the audience is getting you know most excited about and most interested in um, from Microsoft at the moment? It's obviously you know things like Hololens or you know particular interest i think you know consumers and you know across the board people are you know really curious um you know 
about where, where we're heading with, with um, augmented reality, virtual reality and so on. Um, yeah, but you've also been showing off things such as being able to, uh, um, yeah, for dev- developers to be able to take their apps to, to Windows that have been written for Android mm-hmm. and, and iOS. Um, you know, what are you, what are you finding has, has been the sort of the, the, the interesting points? Well, uh, with Windows 10, we're really like uh, bringing Windows to the next level. Uh, and there are so many great things happening with Windows 10 that, you know, it, it would take me a day. And actually, it does take us a day to, to walk uh, the, the audience through it. But I think there are a few particular features that I love. Um, the first one is uh, what we call more personal computing. You know, it's the idea that the PC doesn't have to be just a piece of hardware and software. And so we're trying to create experiences that are more personal. Like you mentioned one with HoloLens. You know, we are bringing the, we are creating a new world category of devices that go beyond the augmented reality, so beyond the virtual reality into the augmented reality world. And we're doing it in a way that uh, is really going to compel uh, consumers as well as uh, uh, enterprises and businesses. Um, and it's really like untapped whole new category of scenarios. And, you know, for those that were built and had the, the lucky to try one of those, like the, the first reaction, you know, after you were one of these HoloLens devices that we saw from all the audience was, wow, right? And then you just start thinking, how can I build an application on it? And then there are many other things. For example, Continuum. Uh, Continuum is the ability to transform a phone, a Windows phone devices, into a PC by connecting it to a monitor, by connecting it to a mouse and keyboard. You know, the idea that it doesn't have to be a PC, like a full laptop or a full desktop. You can just take the power of a phone and turn that into a PC experience. And then, of course, as a developer, you know, the idea that um, this, you know, broad variety of devices, you can target them using the same platform. We call it universal Windows platform. So the idea of building one application that can reach one billion devices across phone and tablet and desktop and uh, Xbox and Surface Hub and HoloLens, um, both using, you know, uh, code and platform built by Microsoft, as well as reusing some of the code uh, uh, that might already be building, for example, uh, websites or, for example, Example, um, Objective C or Java, and we talk about this this morning. Sure, and that, that stuff looks interesting. One thing I noticed was there wasn't there wasn't a demonstration of how you could take an existing Android app or an existing um, iOS app. Now that may may have been time wise, but I guess I'm curious, you know, how seamless, how easy is that experience to take that existing code, and you know, because when we look at New Zealand, for instance, there, are, yeah, there's a I don't know, um, Nigel, you could probably tell us what the market share is for Windows Phone here at the moment. Do you have any numbers on that? Um, I don't have uh, the specific numbers at the moment, but um, it's a minority platform, um, you know, with a strength in certain markets. So there's a lot of uh, business users on Windows Phone, Mm. um, and I guess we're seeing an increase um, in regards to sell-through, but, you know, as a whole, it's still... very much the minority. Yep. So you've got, I guess you've got Windows Phone there as that minority platform at the moment. And when we look at, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, essential apps that people would be used to running on other platforms, particularly those uh, niche apps or local apps, um, so the banking apps and so on, a lot of those haven't landed on on Windows Phone yet. Now, I guess for those that, uh, you know, maybe work in, in the banks and the businesses that haven't yet brought their apps across, how how easy is that going to be for them just to say, okay, well, you know, uh, with launch of Windows 10, we're going to make all our apps available, uh, you know, on on Windows 10 at launch time, um, because look, it's only going to cost us 
you know, a, a, a very light bit of work to uh, to enable that platform. Is that the sort of reality that we expect to see? Right. So I think you're absolutely right. Like it's all about ROI, right? Return of investment. Um, building an application for many platforms, you know, can be a challenging task, especially for you know, a bank that is not like a technical institution, right? And that's exactly what we're trying to address with the bridges. You know, we talk about three bridges, the web, uh, taking iOS code and taking Android code. And uh, although we didn't show a demo this morning in the keynote, actually we'll talk about this during the day. Uh, but the idea, for example, let's say that you have an iOS application today. What we're building into the platform is the ability to take exactly the same code, recompile it with Visual Studio, and then also extend it with uh, uh, Windows APIs. And all of this, as we demonstrated at Build, is a very easy transition. In fact, you get all the benefits of using Visual Studio, which is a very strong development environment. Um, for Android developers, you know, the process is to start from the APK, you know, your package with mm. the binary of the application. You submit it to our store. We are able to identify which APIs you're using or which services you're using. And we're able to help the developers to map those services or APIs back to the Windows platform. And in both cases, the transition is much, it's very, very easy. It's, it's a very smooth transition. And they're a great first step to take existing code and bring it into the Windows store. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the long, in the longer term, the intent is to bring uh, and build like full native experiences because at the end of the day, those are those that are going to have the best experience on the Windows platform. Mm-hmm. And- and just to add to that, um, you know, with the local uh, partners who have uh, large-scale apps that aren't currently on the Windows platform, uh, where we've been having conversations using this technology, it's very much along the idea that it gives them a platform to get onto Windows Phone, uh, uh, sorry, Windows 10 uh, mobile, and then assess how things go from there. Because as we build towards the billion devices, um, it then gives an incentive to actually extend that and to, and to add more native features. Now, tell, I want to hear about this billion devices story because it seems to keep coming out around build. And I can imagine it's the, it's the sort of number that's going to make um, app developers and, you know, I keep bringing out the banks, but the banks and so on... Um, Maybe a little bit more interested if they know that their their apps are, are going to be you know, reaching a whole lot of uh, devices. So what what does that actually look like? Is are you expecting there to be a lot more uh, you know, phones running Windows over the next year, um, or is that I guess that numbers maybe uh, primarily made up out of you know, PCs and laptops and 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 so on. Well, as, as you look today at the, the market share and the, the devices available, like today there is no doubt that our share on Windows and desktop is, is very high, right? And so we're doing uh, part of this picture of this, this one billion is actually upgrades that are going to come from the desktop. Uh, part of it is also about Windows Phone devices and both the ability to update existing phone devices as well as new flagship devices that we're going to announce soon uh, later this year. Um, and so we have a plan across all of the uh, device family of, uh, of Windows to bring new devices and existing devices to, to Windows 10. And the number one billion, you know, it might sound like uh, uh, sometimes just like exaggerate, but it, uh, that's actually a number that we come up after uh, looking at the telemetry and doing some uh, uh, serious like machine learning in terms of learning and predicting uh, where we will go with the devices by looking at the share, by looking at the upgrade rates, by looking at how the Windows inside the program is going. And so we feel quite comfortable that that's the target we're going to hit within two to three uh, years from launch. Mm. Now, it seems unlikely that people will take, for instance, a, an iOS app and recompile it to, to run on a, on a desktop or a laptop-type machine um, generally. So you know, how do you see um, 
you know, I guess what you've been calling them, you know, that that bridge to Windows development, sort of facilitating uh, that process. Well, the feedback we're getting from ISVs that have uh, been the first to try this has been extremely positive because the idea really is that you take an existing code, you just recompile it, and it works. Um, for example, uh, King, you know, I'm, 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 I'm quoting like a big example, King.com, right, is one of the most popular games out there with Candy Crush. The Candy Crush application that is in the store right now is actually built using this technology, using this bridge. And it's been in the store, I think, since uh, uh, late last year. And the reviews, if you look at the reviews on the store, they've been extremely positive. And so the reaction from the consumers on this application has been positive. And as a consumer, the, the great thing is that you don't know, you don't care, actually, what code is behind the application, if it was Objective-C, if it was Java, or if it's .NET. Right? You just care about great experiences. And that's why we are focusing on delivering and providing great experiences to consumers and making it as easy as possible for a developer to bring their code to the platform. So would you imagine some people might start with a, an iOS uh, application written in Objective-C and then um, develop that over time, continuing to stay within Objective, Objective-C on a long-term type basis? Um, do you expect there to be much of that or do you think it will be just to get them started, they get their app out into the uh, Windows Store and as usage grows, maybe they then redevelop uh, you know, using um, you know, more ma- native uh, Windows-oriented um, you know, tools and, and languages like C-sharp and so on. Yeah, well, lastly, this is a decision that we leave to the developer, right? And if there is enough ROI in the platform, if really like we, 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 you know, we provide what we are uh, talking about, I, I suspect the developers will want to upgrade. And you know, I, I think about this as a you know, scale of uh, uh, quality or scale of options, right? From the good, uh, the great, uh, you know, the best. Um, taking the iOS code into Windows, it's going to be good. It's going to provide a good, solid experience. Extending that iOS code, uh, Objective-C code, uh, connecting to the universal APIs is going to make it better because now you have access to features like Cortana or Xbox Live or the push notifications. And so for sure it's going to improve the quality. Uh, moving that code base into being a full Windows uh, universal app is going to be the best case scenario, right? For sure, like the, the, the native platform is always going to provide the best experience in the long term. And so is there a sort of a further picture sort of going, going forward on that that will make that an easier process? Or, you know, do you see longer term people will just be developing for three quite different platforms using quite different tool sets? So one of the things that I've observed locally is that a lot of companies are using technologies like Xamarin to work in a language they understand, which is .NET and C Sharp, and actually release those applications on iOS and Android. Uh, there's also a trend amongst game developers moving towards uh, cross-platform plat- uh, languages like Unity, which enable to again use in a common language like C-sharp um, and Visual Studio and then release a game which works on iOS, Android and a range of different consoles and Windows as well. So we're seeing that trend both here locally with game studios and, and also globally. And uh, another example is where there have been, a while ago there was a tendency to have a lot of web-based apps uh, working on iOS and Android and the market kind of moved away from that because the experience of native was much better. Um, But we're seeing a trend back to that process of having web-based technologies because the browser capabilities have improved both on, you know, Windows platform as well as iOS and and Android platforms. So we're seeing technologies like um, Apache Cordova, uh, which is the open source part that sits behind uh, 
sorry, PhoneGap from Adobe uh, being used, like an example locally, New Zealand Cricket working with MV Interactive have gone away from what were their Silverlight apps uh, to turn them into web-based apps and release them uh, cross-platform iOS and Android using Cordova as well as releasing on Windows with the web technologies. You know, I'm thinking here of yeah, locals that have have been on the Windows Phone platform and, you know, they've maybe started to wonder, is this the right platform to be on? I mean, have you had any progress with with some of those um, yeah, developers of the local banking apps and various other uh, apps in terms of their feedback, whether they're going to be more open to uh, to going down and supporting the, the Windows uh, yeah, platform going forward? Um yeah, so I announced this morning in my in my opening that uh, Ninja Kiwi, who is a game development company based in Kumu, um, they've got the highest grossing game, mobile game worldwide, uh, with their Bloons TD5 game. Now they've come to Windows, um, released yesterday on Windows Phone and, and coming on Windows uh, using the Universal App Platform. And the reason they've chosen to do that is because the groundswell in regards to monetization and audience. Um, Pickpock went a, a little bit earlier and had some good results on the platform. And I think uh, you know the global game developers are now making enough money out of coming over that it's worth warranting with the, with the increase in audience. Um, locally, it's a different conversation because uh, what we find is that locally the audience is a subset of what you get you know, with a global audience. Um, but then again, we did announce today um, also in the keynote that uh, Trade Me Mall, uh, which is their new uh, app, is launching first on Windows. Um, and the reason that they're doing that is because it's a new product that they want to bring to market uh, with some new store experiences in partnership with uh, companies like Dick Smith's and Kathmandu, um, and they want to test the market uh, with Windows before they release that on iOS and Android. I mean, that's great for you, isn't it? Because there's been that little bit of catch-22 around the platform. Is it worth developing for this platform? doesn't have enough market share. Oh, is the market share going to grow if the, the apps aren't there? So I guess the more of those sorts of wins you can get, the uh, better yeah. position you And I mean, in. the enabler for them was that they released Trade Me Property on Windows um, tablet, and um, it was really well received because the, the nature of um, using a touch interface to uh, browse for property, location based, um, it was it was a, it was a strong product for them, and that's what set them down that path. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of you know, have there, there been many other local app stores that have been developing from that tablet perspective? Because I guess the Metro or modern uh, Windows apps. Yeah, there haven't, hasn't been a massive adoption yet, but you know, Windows 10 is set to change that, isn't it, in terms of the yeah. way that those will integrate onto people's devices and you know, whatever you know, they're running. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, a, a local organisation um, based uh, just out in the Waitakere's, um, a couple of Sorry, there's a company based out in the Waitakere's which is Artrage, um, mm. and they've been building, you know, since the tablet PC came out, um, the idea of painting app and, and Trueform Inc. And they've recently re- uh, released a touch version of their app um, as a Windows app in the store. 
Um, but I think what we're also seeing is another one, the fourth of these bridging technologies that Giorgio didn't talk about, uh, is the Win32 apps coming to the Windows 10 store. And uh, we made an announcement at Build in San Francisco uh, that Adobe is working on bringing Photoshop um, through using that bridge. And I think um, that's, if we think about all of the Windows applications that sit um, on desktop today and the accessibility and the idea of being able to uh, receive those through a store, get updates through a store and engage with those applications, there's, there's a massive opportunity there as well. Yeah, okay. Giorgio, you talked a little bit about uh, Visual Studio Code, and I'm just keen to hear a little bit more about this, being able to uh, you know, use Microsoft tools running on, uh, on Macintosh and on, uh, on Linux as well. Who, who are you expecting to be the, the people that are going to jump on board and, uh, and, and start using Visual Studio Code, and, and what is Visual Studio Code? Yeah, so I will start actually from the feedback we get from developers, right? We Obviously, Microsoft has a long history with Visual Studio. Visual Studio is our developer tool, uh, and it powers, allow, allow you to build any application, right, both on the device and the cloud, on Azure, uh, on, on top of Microsoft stack. All the other developers out there that are maybe using Eclipse or are using some uh, uh, Objective-C editor, they're actually not very satisfied with other IDE. And they often ask us, can, hey, can we use Visual Studio for this other type of application? And the reality is that when you look at, in particular, big teams, not all the developers will be on the same um, operating system. So there will be some developers that are using Windows. There might be some developers that are also using macOS. And so this, this was like the feedback and the context, and that's how we come up with VS Code. Visual Studio Code is the answer to this, uh, to this challenge. We want to help developers that are running, that are using macOS uh, to uh, participate and collaborate with the rest of their teams still staying on the same operating system. And so VS Code provides an ability for them uh, to use a rich tool uh, with rich coding and IntelliSense that is not just uh, syntax IntelliSense, it's actually a reflection of full APIs and documentation and everything. It's much more powerful than you know, other solutions like Sublime Text, for example, in the market. Uh, and so, and, and on top of this, is also connected to the power of all of the cloud services. For example, uh, Azure Visual Studio Online, sorry, Visual Studio Online VSO. Uh, so it's easy to do check-in. It's easy to connect it to Git. Um, to look at, you know, we show in the in the keynotes how you can collaborate and and do commits and look at changes across uh, users on multiple devices. It's free, uh, and so we're making VS Code free, and we're making it available across Mac, also Linux, because you know. Uh, there are many developers out there also using Linux, and it's also available on Windows. Yeah, okay. And that's likely to sort of get an, an ongoing development. It's not sort of you know set in terms of the feature set. Will that keep growing over time and and maybe a little bit you know more, more broader in its capabilities? We're definitely looking at uh, ways to improve VS Code. So this is our first release. Uh, the feedback we got you know since build has been extremely positive. Uh, there are a few feature requests already coming, and we're definitely going to consider them and continue to expand it. Great. Now, one other area, or a couple of other areas you, you've talked about today, um, wearables. We saw one of the demos used, uh, you know, Microsoft uh, Band to uh, to tie into to an app and to control a little uh, flight sim app, Cortana. What can you tell us about where those things are, are headed from a, a Microsoft perspective? Sure. I, I start with wearables, since you know, going the order. 
we consider wearable as one of the many IoT devices, right? It's a small device. Um, it's always connected. So most of the time, it's either connected to your phone or it's communicating to the cloud. And so Microsoft is working on the platform both on the device side as well on the cloud side. On the device side, uh, we just released you know, a couple of weeks ago a new SDK for the Microsoft Band that allows you to create application for the device and tap into the, the native capabilities. In fact, what I showed in the keynote this morning was a website, actually, uh, turning that into an application and then communicating via Bluetooth low energy to the band and getting data in real time from the gyroscope to control the airplane. So that was the scenario that we saw this morning. And on the cloud side, with all the work we're doing around uh, uh, Microsoft Azure and uh, the Azure suite for IoT of services, in terms of getting real-time data, processing it through streaming analytics, so being able to process large quantity, like terabytes of data real-time, uh, store it on a, a big database like uh, um, Azure uh, le- um, Data Lake uh, or, or SQL Warehouse, um, and, and, and provide you know end-to-end experiences. On the other side, you know you, may, you mentioned the other feature, which was uh, which we talked about this morning, which is Cortana. Uh, Cortana is our intelligent assistant. Um, it powers now all of the Windows devices. So we started with Cortana on the phone. Now we're bringing it to uh, to desktop. And uh, and the idea with Cortana is really to provide uh, great user experience to, to the users. Uh, Cortana will be available across all of the Windows devices. Um, and of course, some of the capabilities of Cortana will be available in, uh, in different markets at different times. Um, I would say, like, we, we got the feedback already this morning, you know, when is Cortana going to be available in New Zealand? I think that's a, that's a very common question. Um, and uh, we're working very hard to bring uh, the Cortana services across uh, all of the countries around the world. Um, the challenge, you know, just very transparently, is that uh, behind Cortana there is a big machine learning network. So it's not just like a checkbox to enable. And we want to make sure that we provide a great experience once we enable it. And so we're looking at ways to build that intelligence, you know, with a localized content, localized language on, across many countries, as well as to bring services that uh, might be... Uh, 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 horizontal across multiple multiple countries. Um, so we don't have a specific time frame to share today, but it's definitely something that we are hearing from the community, and we're excited that um, to see so much enthusiasm about Cortana, and we're definitely working on that. Great, yeah. I guess it's it's a pretty essential sort of core part of Windows 10, isn't it? Having having um, yeah Cortana available, so pretty essential that rolls out globally. And is that that's the picture though, is to is to get Cortana available everywhere. It's always been the case. Uh, It's it's just a matter of time. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Um, And lastly... Sorry, um, just one more uh, point on there is you talked about the Internet of Things. I think the other area that's pretty exciting is um, putting Windows 10 um, onto devices like the Raspberry Pi 2. Um, Here in New Zealand, uh, through CodeWorks, which was started by Ian McRae from Orion Health, um, and then supported through uh, Code Club uh, with people like Bryn Lewis down in Christchurch, Mm. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, school kids who are getting their first taste of computing or or programming um, using things like the Raspberry Pi or the um, Netduino devices. Uh, Because it's tactile, uh, you've got the ability to connect a sensor and see something that is created as a result of um, the programming and the code. Um, so by having you know the Windows 10 Core um, and having it run on a device like a Raspberry Pi 2, um, I suspect we all see a lot of 
uh, interest in the next generation of tinkerers uh, plugging these things into their TV, running an app and, and, and creating new experiences because that's part of the, the solution as well. And how far away is that with the Raspberry Pi 2 with people uh, being able to test that or is that... Um is that available now? It's available now. Yeah, so okay. uh, you can buy the Raspberry Pi 2 on, like, in, in, on the market. Mm. Uh, and we provide uh, a build of the Windows 10. Of course, it's still a preview build. And we, we provide the build of the OS and the build of the tools. So you can start building an ex- uh, application on the Pi starting today. That's great. Now, I'm sure some of our audience who are, you know, within organizations of various sizes may have some interest in what you've been talking about in terms of apps for Office. And, you know, there was a demo shown uh, today around Zero tying into Outlook. And this was the web version of Outlook. I'm keen to hear just a little bit more around, you know, how that will work, how easy will it be for organizations to develop in-house things that will integrate into Office, as well as those that are, uh, you know, developing apps on a bigger scale, the zeros of this world and so on. Sure. Um, so one of the things we've observed, especially in New Zealand, is there's been a, a massive increase in regards to people who are moving to Office 365. Um, the transition from, say, their desktop versions to the subscription service, services is happening rapidly, both with home users and small business and, and large business alike. Um, one of the things we've done um, at the corporate level is work on this concept which we call the Office Graph, which is really a consolidated API um, across uh, all of the products in Office 365 that enable developers to work using uh, a web language that they would understand and, uh, and work with um, easily. And then the web components get integrated back into uh, not just the web experiences of Office, but everything down to the um, to the desktop and cross-platform experiences. Now that we're releasing Office on on you know Android and iOS and and Windows, um, so it makes sense for an organisation like Zero. Because if you look at Zero, a large portion of their customer base uh, are accountants who are running Excel using Office 365, and it's a, it's a key part of their customers. Um, so I've been working with the Zero team on that collaboration, uh, mainly because they see that their audience lives in Outlook, they live in Excel, and to have uh, the experience of Zero integrated into those environments, uh, it really speeds up the workflow and the, and the integration. It should open up more customer opportunities for them, um, it should also open up, um, you know, more Office 365 opportunities for us. So it's a, it's a pretty um, uh, mutual partnership. That's great. Now, lastly, when are all these new things going to going to arrive? You know, how far off until Windows 10 lands? When are we going to get our hands on Hololens here in New Zealand? What can you share? So we're absolutely on track uh, on the time frame that we shared earlier in the year, uh, which is the summer uh, to release uh, Windows 10. Uh, uh, That's a US summer. U.S. summer. Oh, you're right. It's winter now. So U.S. summer. Thank you, Nigel, for the reminder. <laughs> now, so it's sooner than you expected. <laughs> and you've indicated that there won't be a big gap between when Windows 10 is finalized and when it becomes available for people. What, you know, what's that? So um, um, the first step is for us to complete the product. When I say summer, this is like the time when the engineering team says, we, are, we completed the development of Windows 10. And we do this pretty much in line across, for example, Windows, desktop, and, uh, and also the, the mobile uh, SKU. Uh, then if you are a desktop user, 
the day after, actually. You will be able to download an upgrade for free uh, to Windows 10. Uh, for mobile users, it might take a bit longer because there is an additional level of uh, certification for OEMs and for carriers. Uh, and so then we rely also on, on them to help us distribute in uh, Windows 10 quickly. Right. So there will still be a bit of a delay on the on the mobile devices in terms of carriers because there's been some you know talk around how that story will, will change a little bit in terms of being a little bit more like it is with iOS where an update becomes available and it's available you know, globally at one time. So... The the delay exists across all, uh, all the platform and is kind of there by design. Uh, we've been working very hard, and I think uh, we will succeed at making sure that all of the Windows Phone users can upgrade very quickly uh, to uh, the new version of the mobile once it's available. Okay, that's good. And uh, HoloLens, Nigel, are you going to be showing showing that off in New Zealand anytime soon? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, just the simple fact, being up at Build, uh, they had 100 uh, HoloLens devices up there, and um, I got to spend a bit of time with John from Fister Entertainment. He had four hours hands-on with one of these things, uh, both experiencing it and also writing applications for it. Um, and like anything, you know, he couldn't talk in too much detail about what the experience was like, but he came away buzzing at the potential of what the product is going to offer. So, um, yeah, I'm like anyone else, I'm a fan, and I'm, I, I want it to be here sooner rather than later. Yep. Now, um, Giorgio, you did make a, a comment in the, the keynote around being able to develop applications, uh, you know, holographic applications, but not just for HoloLens. There was that comment that there are going to be, there are going to be others. Um, well, can, can what they say, you know, if you think about the holograms, right, mm. um, They've been existing in the science fiction forever. Like I remember seeing movies as a kid of, of holograms. HoloLens is the first device in the market that really will support holograms mm. and will allow developers to build application for this device. In fact, you know, to get started, as we say in the keynote, the, if you want to build an application for HoloLens, you can start today using the same tool that you use for Windows 10. It's the same application. It's the same uh, set of tools. It's the same set of uh, APIs and languages. Um, I suspect in the future, uh, in the future, we will see more devices, and uh, you know, not necessarily all coming from Microsoft. But you know, that's a trend, and that's a that's a space where I expect there will be a lot of growth, and it's it's, it's, it's fantastic. I'm really glad to be working in Microsoft and to set you know to be the leader in this space. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you both for your time. Thank you, Giorgio. Thank you, Nigel. Uh, good to get a little bit of an update on uh, on what's happening in the, the Microsoft uh, world, especially from a developer perspective. Um, anything else that we haven't covered there, Nigel? Um, I just wanted to also mention uh, the other example that we had in the keynote this morning with the combination of... Uh, you know the scalability of the client through to the um, cloud backend. Um, I was doing a presentation this week and talking about this concept of the artificial intelligence APIs that we've brought out. So the Project Oxford piece. Um, it's incredibly valuable to think about what those machine learning um, APIs can do, and then what sort of applications you can build. It's scary too. It's sort of Big Brother stuff too. It could be, uh, you know, put it into the wrong hands. But um, you know, it's those technologies that have been enabling us to 
uh, identify images and to flag things and to to work on those solutions for a long time and to see the howold.net uh, website you know that was put together using services that any developer can go and uh, and take advantage of today um, and then build a site which can scale to 220 million uh, images in the first three hours I think it was and then using the the stream analytics um, the auto scaling for the back end uh, the Azure data lake uh, and getting that information out into a dashboard so you can see people act you know accessing the site in real time from anywhere around the world um, it's just phenomenal technology which if you had to write it all from scratch uh, would take you you know months and and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of effort so how long did it take to put that together well, Matt Veloso? Oh, I can answer that because it's one of the uh, applications that uh, our team in Corp built. Less than a week. Okay. Less than a week. Yeah, that's pretty cool. To reach 200, more than 200 million users in less than an hour. So it's, it was definitely, <laughs> it definitely short talks about the potential. Yeah, great. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank Cheers. you. Uh, so right now, I'm here with Steve Lewis, who's Microsoft's Director of Mobile Devices for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, great to chat with you, Steve. Thank you. Great to be here. How's this sort of transition gone from being Nokia to being part of, uh, part of Microsoft, and what does that look like now? Okay, thank you. It's a, a great question. It's been a, a very interesting journey. So I think you know, Nokia is a, a company with a, a huge heritage and has been very well known in both Australia and New Zealand. And for the devices team, it's been very excited to become part of Microsoft. Uh, and now we are a new division within the Microsoft family called Microsoft Mobile Devices, looking after the Lumia smartphones and also looking after the Nokia mobile phone products uh, that are in market as well. So it, it's a really exciting time to be at Microsoft and an exciting time to bring in the Nokia family. Great. Now, um, recently we were looking at the uh, the Lumia uh, 435 and the, and the 640, which is sort of in the, I guess, lower to sort of uh, mid-range, mid certainly in the lower uh, price points in terms of smartphones. Um, where, where's that heading? How, you know, how low is the price of smartphones going to go? When will it be that the, you know, the only phone you sell is a $20 phone, but it's actually you know, got windows on it. Is that a reality that we'll get down to those sort of price points eventually? I, I think it's been incredible if you look back over the years, you know, how price points have eroded and again the functionality you can get today, the affordability and functionality is really amazing. You know, you really are getting kind of tiny computers in your pockets already today. Products like the 435 having, you know, full uh, email functionality connecting to all of your office based applications for tiny price points at 80, 89 New Zealand dollars is, is really quite incredible if you look back over the last few years. Hmm. I, and you know, I think we'll have to see how that trend continues. Uh, also, you're really seeing a lot of traction in what we call this affordable smartphone segment with products like the, uh, the, the Lumia 640. And again, I think the really interesting as well, you're seeing that intersection now where it comes with Office 365 license included in the package. So again, not only can, is that you've got a smartphone, but you can also get your PC and tablet up and running and enabled for productivity as well. Yeah, that's pretty handy. Now, um, if we look at the higher-end devices, and that you know, tends to be where you know, smartphone manufacturers you know, make the bulk of their, their profit, um, we haven't seen a, you know, a whole lot from you, you know, in, in recent times. We've got the 830 and the, uh, the 930, mm-hmm. you know, great, great products. Um, but we, you know, we look at Android, for instance, there's you know, new products coming out. You know, it feels like almost every, every day. Um, you know, it's a huge am- amount of movement there um, when are we likely to see those new you know some new higher end devices coming through is that all about uh, Windows 10 is it sort of following the um, the launch of Windows 10 
Yeah, I think a very good, good question. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Today we're very focused on this affordable segment and bringing in the new products like the 640, which are you know, in, the, in the kind of mid-tier of the market. But as you mentioned, there's Windows 10 coming later in the year, which I think is very exciting, having the first time that the platform is across phone, tablet, PC together. Mm. And again, that's where I think you'll see an expansion of the range of products we're bringing to market. So again, I think more to share in the future in that space. Great. Now, we've heard that um, with Windows 10, we'll be able to have our Windows phone basically able to you know, wirelessly connect into, to, you know, we're looking at a TV on the wall there, um, and you, know, you would be able to basically have your, you know, operate that with a keyboard and a mouse and so on. Can you give any sort of indication on whether that will be a feature that will sort of broadly be available across all of the handsets or whether that's going to be, you know, very limited to, you know, particular devices? I, I can't comment specifically uh, around that, but I think, you know, the exciting piece there is the, the continuum feature and the ability, as you say, to scale up from, uh, you know, phones to bigger screens is something that's, that, uh, you know, we've shared publicly and I think is very exciting now. This idea of the universal Windows platform and having applications that you can take across multiple screen sizes is something really unique and new and we're seeing a lot of interest uh, from from many media partners and other organizations about how they can look at applications in a, in a whole different way and do you think there's a area where that's going to do better than others or, you know i've seen people you know saying oh look this is going to be great for developing markets where you know, people don't necessarily have a pc or a laptop all they've got is a, as a smartphone um, do you think that's an area which will which will really help with the uptake of it I, I think um, it's, we're actually going to see quite a broad range of different scenarios where it appeals to people. I think emerging markets is one area where, as you say, affordability-wise, if, if the phone is the only device you carry, that gives you more productivity than you've probably had before. But I, I think we also talk about something called casual productivity, you know, the fact that, you, you know, if you might uh, head home on the weekend and not want to take your, your laptop with you, uh, you know, those kind of things where, uh, again, these, these kind of uh, functionalities might help you be more productive on the go, using your, your phone to do more of your work-like um, activities without necessarily the need to to bring all your other devices back for you. Mm, absolutely, and I mean, certainly, the way I I operate, and you know, often when I'm travelling now or on those you know similar sorts of scenarios, weekend, etc. Um, yeah, this I mean, you can just about do anything you want mm. on your smartphone, whether it's as productive or not. Yeah, it may not be, but if you've just got one or two things to do, uh, then you can often get away with that. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. And um, now, in the past, uh, you know, some of the handsets have been, you know, really, really good. And even, you know, looking at the um, uh, the Lumia 640 in terms of its price point, camera-wise, you've been quite strong there. Um, What's that picture look like going forward? Is the is the camera going to you know continue to be um, you know quite a focus in your devices? I, I think uh, one of the, one of the things that that Nokia brings to Microsoft is that very strong heritage in camera technology. So if you go back to products like the Lumia 1020 with its amazing 41 megapixels, again, we've had a long relationship with Carl Zeiss giving you the best optics and lenses, um, pure view technology, you know, op- optical image stabilization, mm. a real package. So whether, um, you know, whatever kind of memory you're trying to capture, I think you'll see that there's a, a you know, really strong uh, portfolio of products there that we'll, we'll try and capture those moments for you in the best possible way. I think one thing that's really interesting maybe to highlight there is we're seeing a trend towards video that often, you know, if you've got kids or pets or things that are fast moving, a, a short snippet of video and then being able to pull out a single frame, which is the best shot. So with a, an app called Lumia Moments, you can do that today. Yep. And I think it, that really is 
potentially the future of getting really, really great shots for those difficult moments when people are, are moving around a lot. Yep. And when we see those, you know, those good cameras, you know, keep coming down through the price points, when we look at the Lumia 435, it's, you know, it's very basic in terms of its its camera, but I mean, of course, it's a sub $100 handset. So you sort of expect that, you know, is, is the camera something that's developing at a similar rate to the other pieces of technology where, you know, great cameras will actually become more affordable? I think so. I mean, I think across when you, again, if you look back over the years, you'll see that now, you know, the, the, the mid-range products have what were previously very high-end cameras. Mm. So, again, things are moving over time. You're also seeing this introduction of, you know, second cameras, a front-facing camera, whether it be for, you know, your selfie or your Skype call. So, again, we continue to see improvements there. Also in, in flash, in st- image stabilization, better video quality, higher frame rates. So lots of, uh, of movement in that area. I think it's quite an exciting space. Yep. Now, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to get a picture on you know what's what is Microsoft's purpose with um, um, with the mobile devices division. Obviously, it was you know it was a huge investment, and the the area of smartphones is is a reasonably hard area to actually generate much in terms of profits for. What what's the you know the bigger picture view on how important is uh, is this division to Microsoft and their overall strategy uh, longer term? And also noting that you, obviously you compete with um, you know, others who might want to release uh, you know phones running windows but you know see uh, see you with really the the lion's share of the market so there isn't much room left for them yeah, I, I think it's very much on the recognition that you know the, the world has changed to a world where mobility is so so key to everybody's daily lives. And again, the devices that you use for mobility can be around uh, phones and tablets much more than traditional maybe uh, PCs and desktops. Again, that's why you see the surface range of iconic tablets, and then Lumia is complementing that to give a, a phone offering from Microsoft. So very much the idea is you know be able to light up the best of Microsoft in a mobile device. And again, you know we welcome uh, Microsoft phones from other partners as well. And again, looking to really allow people to consume and try the best of Microsoft in a mobile device in their pocket. If, uh, yeah, I guess, it, uh, you know, if Microsoft ha- hadn't gone through this ac- ac- acquisition, um, you know, would you think there would be more partners that would be, um, uh, you know, selling Windows phones? Or do you think it's the, the uh, development of the ecosystem, more apps and so on, that will, will tend to sort of drive that broader adoption? Because, you know, obviously, we look at it today, the market share that, you know, Windows has on phones is, is still, you know, very slim and you know, I know there have been varying predictions over the years that uh, you know Windows Phone by this stage might be at 30% market etc etc and uh, you know that hasn't you know none of those things have really come through uh, maybe as well as um, you know, some might have pictured I think, uh, I mean, what, what you're seeing is, uh, is really good momentum uh, globally and locally. And if you look, I think, at the uh, quarterly results show this good momentum year on year and quarter on quarter for Lumia. So, that, you know, I think there is solid growth there. I think really, though, that Windows 10 represents a fundamental change where for the first time you've got the same operating system across PC, tablet and phone, which I think is such a, a critical component. And then the, the fact that the applications will be, you know, one set of applications across those, I think really is a bit of a turning point in that sense. So, you know, I think uh, very positive about the outlook ahead there. Yeah, that side of it I think certainly looks interesting. Now, one of the areas that I think has been 
um, you know, a bit of a frustration for users has been this access to to updates. And you know, we've heard that with Windows 10, uh, the phones are going to become much more like your Surface or your laptop or you know any other Windows device. In that, you know, updates will just become available. They're having to wait for uh, you know your carrier to release the update. Is it, what can you tell us about you know that picture and what that's likely to look like for? You know, users of um, you know of your devices here in New Zealand, for instance. I think I mean in general, the, probably the key element I would say is that you know we want to make sure that people have a really good quality experience. And probably what's a little bit different with a phone from a PC experience is again it's it's linking through that cellular network, and and you know all the all the networks in different countries have different setups and a, and are geared differently. So we we do spend the time to check that the products will work beautifully on those networks before. Uh, releasing software. So I think you, you may see increased frequency from, from Windows 10, but again, we will continue to work with our, our partners in the, in the operators to make sure we're delivering a good consumer experience and it will work well on their network, which I think is important for everybody. Right, but we will see us, um, more consistency in terms of it'll be a you know, global availability of an update and it'll come out in New Zealand, Australia, US, sort of similar time. Is that what we're expecting? I think, again, what we'll try and do is always bring, both in Australia and New Zealand, you know, the, the, the best experiences we can as quickly as possible. Again, it may, it may vary depending on what the updates relate to and what functionality is available in certain markets as to exactly when that comes. But our ambition will always be to try and get it here as quickly as we can to the best level of quality. So, I mean, comparing it with iPhone, for instance, Apple push out an update, it's available, you know, same day everywhere. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, the sort of situation that we're moving to with, with Windows 10? I think, again, it will, it will vary depending on the functionality we're talking about because some of those things, when it impacts in terms of the cellular functionality, uh, need to be uh, kind of reviewed and, and checked against networks. Other elements where they may not, it, you know, that may be a different situation. Right. So things like a, a security update, those, those sorts of things where, you know, for instance, we look at Android, which has been on the, um, I guess, the other end of the scale where, you know, very unknown in terms of availability of updates. Will that operate more like our Windows uh, you know, PCs and so on in terms of getting those updates? I mean, in terms of that quick availability? Yeah, certainly with Windows 10, that, you know, we are changing the framework and the way those uh, updates will roll out. So I think we can probably give you more specifics as we get nearer to that okay. in terms of which functionality will come in, in which kind of time frames. Yep. And anything else that we should be aware of in terms of you know, what's coming up in terms of uh, devices and, uh, you know, and futures other than uh, you know, what we've discussed? I, I think, you know, as I said, we're very excited about Windows 10, and I, I think that's something to really keep an eye on in the year ahead because I think lots of exciting announcements already, and, and uh, you know, will be very important uh, for, for the market in Australia and New Zealand. But, you know, today we're very proud of the Lumia 640, and uh, that's just, just coming into stores as we speak. So, uh, you know, really excited to see how that does and uh, the traction that has in the, in the market here locally. Okay, that's great. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Hey, well, thanks everybody for uh, for joining me on this special edition of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. You can, of course, catch us online, nztechpodcast.com. And for more podcasts, you can find those at podcasts.co.nz. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at NZ Tech Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Paul Spain. Uh, you can find us across the other social networks too. So thanks everyone for joining us. We will be back again with another episode real soon. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.